pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here for another episode of the Prospect Podcast, all about the Madden ratings that have already been released for Madden 22. And typically, I'm not someone that gets too involved in rankings of really any kind over the summer and certainly not for a video game. But I, like you, grew up playing Madden. And although I'm super pumped that training camp is here and that we're not that far from the start of the college football season as well, I've just really felt myself wanting to chime in with my disagreements and, in some cases, my applause for the job that Madden 22 and their ratings adjusters did with their top 10 ratings for each position. They've released, a time of recording, wide receivers, edge rushers, and defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, defensive tackles, whatever you want to call them. That is kind of how I categorize them during the pre-draft process. There's edge rushers and there's defensive linemen. I will start with wide receivers. And if you hadn't checked a few days ago, they released wide receivers, I believe, first. I don't think there's been any other positions that have been released by EA Sports, Ben 22, at time of recording this. But a few days ago, wide receivers came out. Devonta Adams joined the 99 club at number one overall. I'm completely fine with that. I think he is the most well-rounded and explosive Dynamic route runner, down the field, contested catch situations, releases off the line, violent route running. Devonta Adams is the best receiver in football. At number two, DeAndre Hopkins. He's not very far behind. Can do a lot of the same stuff that Devonta Adams can do, I think. The quarterback in Green Bay is a little bit better than the one in Arizona. That probably helps Devonta Adams slightly. But in terms of overall skill set, winning at the catch point, running insane routes, after the catch, I think Devonta Adams and DeAndre Hopkins are both outstanding. Then at number three is Tyree Kill, and I'm glad that Madden 22 put the Chief Superstar at number three because typically over the last couple of seasons, whether it was Madden or just a top 10 list over the summer at the receiver spot, it was really easy to like have Tyree Kill near the bottom of the top 10 because he's short, he's kind of a slot guy, he returns kicks. Tyreek Hill is the most purely dangerous wide receiver in football. 
You watched him in the playoffs, the AFC title game. Uh, wasn't able to do as much, obviously, in the Super Bowl because Patrick Mahomes was pressured like every snap and pressured quickly. But what Tyreek Hill can do to a defense, can do for his offense, in terms of his speed, which is elite, I think almost world-class, his quickness and his leaping ability, the fact that he plays like he's like six foot three because how much bounce he has off the turf and how well he high points the football. I think in that regard, he reminds me a lot actually of Antonio Brown. He's a little bit smaller, more squatty than Antonio Brown was in his prime. But Tyreek Hill, absolutely electric. I'm glad that they finally gave him his due. Number 98 overall, like DeAndre Hopkins, at number three in the Madden wide receiver top 10 ratings. And number four, Stephon Diggs, the reigning receiving yard leader and receptions leader. I think a lot of what I just said about Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins applies to Stephon Diggs. Very hard to press him at the line because he's lightning quick. His handwork is outstanding. Insane routes, short, intermediate, and down the field. Deceptively good in those contested catch situations. I got to think of a new term for contested catch situations. Please, and, and I'm open for any suggestions because I write that so much during the season and then definitely during the pre-draft process. I want to start thinking of some new terminology to freshen things up at cbssports.com, and when I'm talking into this microphone for this podcast. So if you have another term, and I, I have a few in my bag, but a few other terms for contested catch situations, either leave it in the comments where you're listening to this podcast or tweet me at Chris Trapasso. Find me on TikTok, Instagram, at Chris Trapasso. Let me know what you think is a good way to describe those situations where there's a contested catch and the receiver comes down with the football. Diggs is awesome in that regard, although he's not very big. He's not 6'3", 6'4". He's right around 6 foot. After the catch, he breaks tackles. He's very elusive, and he has that downfield speed as well. Now, Julio Jones at number five, there was a little bit of controversy. Like, should he at this point in his career still be considered a top five receiver? Yes. I absolutely think when healthy Julio Jones is a top five receiver. And even before he got hurt last year, he was on pace for another twelve or 1,300-plus yard, yard season with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. I wonder, though, if the production is going to take a little bit of a step back, not because he's 32, but because he's playing in an offense with Derrick Henry, run heavy, a lot of play action, and he has A.J. Brown across from him. So I think individually and just in terms of player skill, Julio Jones is still – if we're going to call maybe the top five elite, I think he's still an, an elite receiver. My problems start at number six with Michael Thomas of the Saints. And I know the last time we saw him fully healthy, he broke the single season receiving or reception total and led the NFL in receiving yards. So you could say, hey, well, he was injured last year. Not his fault. Mad's not going off the injury. They're not going to really factor that in too much. I think they kind of have to, especially with how the game is today where you can play with the exact lineup that a team is rolling out there on Sunday. But he's going into this 2021 season injured again. He's going to be out for the first couple of weeks of the season. And beyond that, I don't think Michael Thomas has the complete game that really any of the other receivers on this list have. 
He did have the luxury of having Drew Brees throw him the football, who right there with Tom Brady is probably the best quick passing game quarterback in NFL history. Hyper accurate, understood the leverage of defenders, coverages, blitzes, hot reads, as well as any quarterback that's ever thrown a pass in the NFL. So he had that to start his career. And they really used him as the underneath possession wide receiver. I know there there are some plays on his highlight reel where Michael Thomas makes a nice catch down the field, but you don't think of him as a deep threat, someone that dominates in those contested catch situations. So at number six, after basically not playing last year and then going into this season, injured again, and then just not being a wide receiver that I think can give you a lot more than being a extremely high volume possession wide out that shields defenders with his body very well on those in-breaking routes, those slants, those comebacks, those dig routes. I think number six is a touch high for Michael Thomas of the Saints. Keenan Allen at, at number seven I think is a good spot for him. Maybe you could flip him and Michael Thomas. Criminally underrated. He's made a couple Pro Bowls, but in terms of route running, separation, off the line, he's up there with Stephon Diggs and, and DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams. He, he's right there, maybe a, a, a half of a step behind them in terms of how well he gets open. The vertical is there, the big catch radius. He's a very good wide receiver. Did have an average yards per catch under 10 last season, and, and so, so maybe that's kind of where – Madden kind of landed with him that he's close to Michael Thomas as being that chain mover more so than a dynamic threat. But I think number seven is completely fine for Keenan Allen. Hasn't really showed individually, maybe his role's changed, but individually that he has taken a a step back or he's a step slower or not as quick. I think he's still a, a top 10, clearly wide receiver. Number eight, Amari Cooper. This was a head scratcher for me. I loved Amari Cooper coming out of Alabama in 2015. He hit the ground running with 1,000-plus yards with the then-Oakland Raiders that year. But just looking at, just to kind of go from a a statistical standpoint to begin, Amari Cooper has never gone over 1,200 yards receiving, despite how crisp of a route runner he is, having that reputation. He's kind of this silent assassin that doesn't say too much, but he just produces. Then the big marquee trade to the Dallas Cowboys in the middle of his career, in the middle of the season. Uh, and he's been pretty good there as well. Never over 1,200 yards in a single year. I know he had 90-plus catches last season, but do you know that since Amari Cooper got to the Dallas Cowboys, he has 12 100-plus yard receiving games. That's pretty good, right? He also has 12 games with fewer than 40 receiving yards, and that's kind of the book on Amari Cooper. In a lot of those big matchups against top-flight cornerbacks or in huge games for the Cowboys, he kind of shrinks. And I know being a receiver, it's a low-output game isn't strictly on him because the, the, the game plan could be a certain way. The quarterback uh, could be under pressure a lot, not throwing it in really a wide receiver's target area too often in a given game. But to have as many games under 40 yards receiving as 100-yard receiving gains. That's a little concerning for me. And I think Amari Cooper being at number eight on this list is a little bit more about his reputation coming from Alabama, the fact that he has been very consistent over the course of a season, his entire NFL career. That All those factors, I think, got him inside the top 10. If I was 
closing my eyes and ranking the top 10 wide receivers, Amari Cooper would not have been in my top 10. Top 15, probably, but not top 10. Could be in for a big season with Dak Prescott back there in Dallas. Maybe he finally gets above 1,200 receiving yards. I just don't think he's the eighth best wide receiver in football right now. Maybe the skills are close to that, and that could be a little bit more why Madden has him ranked so high because he is a very good route runner. The, the uh, drops can be a little bit of a concern at time. I don't really picture him, and just the film that I've watched is someone that is an awesome rebounder down the field. But we know in today's NFL, it's all about creating separation and getting open, and Cooper does that pretty well. I'm just All the other receivers show up. Most of the time in those big moments, and that's kind of been a calling card for Amari Cooper, said he doesn't. Mike Evans at number nine, he should be flip-flopped at least with Amari Cooper, if not into the top seven or top six. Seven straight seasons, over 1,000 yards for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's a throwback. He's 6'5", 230 pounds. The big receiver is extinct in the NFL, right? I mean, if you look at these top five or six receivers, seven, Devonta Adams isn't very big. Hopkins isn't big. Hill is a little bit shorter. Stephon Diggs is six foot. Julio's bigger. Michael Thomas is a little bigger. Keenan Allen isn't gigantic. Amari Cooper's not huge. Mike Evans is six four. He stands out. He looks like a tight end among this group. But quick enough and subtle enough with his route running ability, shifty enough to get open, and he is still probably the best pure downfield deep threat due to his rebounding skills of any receiver in football. I think certainly there are other receivers that are better downfield threats because they're faster, but someone that doesn't need to be running a four, three and can still stretch the field because of his size and his catch radius and how strong he is with his hands and his big frame. That's Mike Evans. He's the prototype for being a deep threat because of his size and his just in, towering, intimidating presence. I think he could be a little bit higher on this list. And what's funny is, is that with Mike Evans in Tampa Bay, I mean, he's gone from Fitzpatrick to Jameis Winston, and then a few seasons into his career in Tampa, Chris Godwin arrives on the scene, and by year two is an all-pro. And all Mike Evans has done is had over a 1,000 yards every single season. Three of those over 1,200 receiving yards. He has three 10-plus receiving touchdown seasons, including last year at 27 years old when he had 13 during the regular season. He averages 15.5 yards per catch in his career at this point. And this is a high four fives. Six foot five, four, six foot five, 230 plus pound wide receiver who was kind of coming into the league as the Jordy Nelsons and the Brandon Marshalls and the Des Bryants were starting to become extinct a little bit and he's flourished. And certainly with Tom Brady last year, he absolutely did winning that Super Bowl. Mike Evans should be a little bit higher. And then the biggest gripe I have with the top 10, Allen Robinson at number 10. 10, Allen Robinson. What is he doing down there? Allen Robinson has as complete of a game as just about any other receiver on this list. He might not be as flashy of a route runner as Devontae Adams or Stephon Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins, but he can do a lot of the same stuff that those quote-unquote elite or the unquestionable elite wide receivers can do. 
He's very difficult to combat at the line with press. He's physical through press at the line, getting into his uh, route, breaking off of his route, very sudden for being a bigger wide receiver, 6'2", 6'3". And he's a monster in those contested catch situations. Throw it up to him, he's coming down with the football. And he has had a murderer's row of atrocious quarterbacks throwing him the football. From his time in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles, and then what he's had the last couple of seasons in Chicago. I think this year with Justin Fields, hopefully Justin Fields is the starter. Bears fans should be clamoring for week one, but if not, it's got to be by the start of October. Allen Robinson is in for a huge season. I like the fact that he's got Darnell Mooney across from him too, who quietly had an awesome rookie season last year. So Allen Robinson, third most contested catches over the past three seasons from 2018, 2019, and 2020 combined. Uh, he, he's, he's a monster, and I think he is the most – if Keenan Allen kind of has that reputation as the most underrated, which in a way makes him not underrated – I really think Allen Robinson is more underrated. And that's shown up here in the Madden 22 wide receiver ratings. He's sitting at number 10. And I'll do a snub, at least one snub for each of these positions that I'm going to run through. Um, a big snub here is A.J. Brown. I would be completely fine taking out Amari Cooper, bumping up Mike Evans and Allen Robinson, or moving them way further up. Get A.J. Brown on this list. He needs to be there. I think what he's been able to do after the catch and even down the field in those jump ball situations in Tennessee in his first two seasons has been nothing short of a miracle. Seeing that he has Derrick Henry as the focal point of that offense. Two seasons, over 1,000 yards, which over 1,000 yards in the Ryan Tannehill, Arthur Smith, Derrick Henry Titans might as well be 1,500 yards in any other team. 19 touchdowns in two regular seasons. Averages over 17 yards per grab. And he has just been a nightmare, an absolute nightmare to tackle in space. And that's really what he did at Ole Miss. He was my top receiver in the 2019 draft class. Although a lot of people were concerned, oh, he's too stocky. He's not crazy fast. Can he separate? He can separate. He's super physical. In his routes, after the catch, and when the ball's in the air. He has an awesome my ball mentality. He sees that football, it's his. A.J. Brown belongs on this list, and he will 100% be inside the top 10 in Madden 2023 when these ratings come out next year. The other one, you could maybe make a case for Calvin Ridley. Had over 90 catches, over 1,300 yards last season with like half the year not having Julio Jones next to him, drawing attention. Great route runner, very quick, awesome separator. You could make a case. I think he'd be right on the cusp. He he kind of I, I feel similarly to him as I do to Amari Cooper, who I didn't think belonged at number eight. But the biggest snob, AJ Brown, Calvin Ridley, if if you have a an argument for him, I, I could hear it. Now going from wide receiver, we have the edge rusher position. Just came out a couple of days ago. At number one, Miles Garrett, no complaints from me. There's a lot of people that think, hey, it's, it's definitely TJ Watt. I think in terms of skill and production and upside, 
It's still Miles Garrett. I think he is the best edge rusher in football in terms of being a great run defender, being a high motor guy who plays a lot of snaps, three straight seasons with 10 plus sacks, 42 tackles for loss in four seasons with the Browns. He has the really the complete pass rush arsenal when it comes to moves and size and dip around the corner and speed and bend around the corner. Miles Garrett is the most physically gifted edge rusher in football, and there's a lot of really physically gifted ones. At number two, Khalil Mack. I don't hate it. I'm fine with it because I think Khalil Mack has become the Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, the Aaron Donald of edge rushers, that he's been so good for so long that he really could be like a defensive player of the year candidate every season. But that's not going to be the case anymore because he's 30 and he's won it before. And all right, we know he's good. He's raised the bar so high for himself that he's almost made himself boring, that you can pencil him in for 50, 60, 70, 80 quarterback pressures every year. It's absolute force, an edge-setting monster against the run. Defeats blocks like they're nothing. But I think over the last year or so, he's taken maybe like a – fourth of a step back in terms of being a pure pass rusher. But then again, in Chicago, he's getting doubled a lot more than some other players on this list because there hasn't really been that pure number two next to him. And every single team playing the Bears is like, we are doubling and tripling Khalil Mack. So I don't despise him at two. I'm, I'm fine with him at two. But if you don't like him there, if you think he's three or four, okay. But he's a top four edge rusher but for sure. Do not think that Khalil Mack is, is on his way down. I mean, he is he has hit that 30-year-old threshold, but a lot of edge rushers can be productive, 31, 32, 33. That's going to be Khalil Mack. He's in great shape. He's super powerful. Every pass rush move in the book, and he's like will move 350-pound left tackles. Get up and underneath them and forklift them out of the way. And number three, T.J. Watt. Overall rating of 94, Khalil Mack is 96, Miles Garrett is 98. TJ Watt, last two years, has been spectacular. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I wasn't crazy high on him as a prospect coming out of Wisconsin a few years ago, but he has developed because he's gotten significantly stronger since he's joined the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had the second most pressures amongst Edge rushers last season with 73. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great, too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com bluewire. 
and Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Awesome run defender. Plays with so much power. Uh, it is not just a one-trick pony. You could have him at three. You could have him at two. I, I don't know if I would put him at one at this point, but I'm probably in the minority that believes that or that just thinks he's not quite there yet. He's an elite pass rusher. So it's kind of nitpicking talking about these top three. I think Madden did a good job at the beginning. And then at number four, Chandler Jones. And I'm fine with that. Another very good, very polished, but also athletic and long and strong, just like everyone else on this list. I mean, I guess Khalil Mack is probably the the least long of this group. But that's Chandler Jones. He's got everything. He's played out there in Arizona. Last couple of years, everyone's focused on Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Chandler Jones is just someone that not only is a high-pressure player every single season, but he brings a quarterback down. And I, I'm a huge advocate of you know, pressure. Disruption is production along the defensive line. But 2017, led the NFL, 17 sacks. 2018, 13 sacks. 2019, 19 sacks. And then he only played five season, five games last year, got injured, and only had one sack. He's 31 years old. I think Chandler Jones is still an elite, elite pass rusher. So the top four, man, did a good job with that. Now at number five, it feels sacrilegious to talk about him this way, but J.J. Watt does not belong inside the top five. And it feels sacrilegious because J.J. Watt is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is one of the top... To me, 10 defenders in history. His prime, and I really mean that, his prime was basically unprecedented. I know a few years later now we have Aaron Donald's prime, which might actually be better. J.J. Watt redefined, I thought, the position being able to play up and down the line. He is very close, in in, in my belief, to Reggie White in terms of what he was able to do at multiple positions as a dominant run defender and an off-the-charts pass rusher. did not matter who he was lining up against, the center, the right guard, the left tackle. He could win with such an awesome finesse game, pure power, speed, dip, bend, finish well at the quarterback, strip sacks, complete eraser. But the last couple of years, he was in that territory of J.J. Watt, and Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack. Like he was so good for so long that you could have just every year given him votes for defensive player of the year and he would not have been wrong. But over the last probably two years in Houston, and he's dealt with a myriad of injuries, it's actually remarkable that Watt has been able to come back each time and still play at a relatively high level. Those injuries, I think, have sapped a little bit of what he can do on the football field. And the fact that he is into his well into his 30s now uh, is part of the reason why that's happened. So I think he's still good. I wouldn't have even hated him inside this top 10. I just can't put him at number five. The pressures have been down. The run defense isn't quite the same. He's not this fifth best edge rusher in football. Number six, Cameron Jordan. I'm completely fine with him there. They're very well-rounded uh, and has been super consistent for like a decade 
in New Orleans. Von Miller at number seven with the same 93 overall rating as Cam Jordan is very fascinating because Von Miller was having a very distinct like downward dip from what was in his prime, a very, an, an all pro defensive player of the year type guy every year. In terms of just his efficiency as an edge rusher, getting after the quarterback, and then just what he was able to do as a run defender at like 6'3 and 250 was always remarkable. We just didn't really see that from him in 2019 with the Broncos. What's funny is, and this is a little bit of what I alluded to with Mac and J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald, that Vaughn was so good for so long and then had a quote-unquote down season in 2019, he still had 77 pressures and nine sacks. The run defense was still pretty good. So Von Miller at seven, it, it kind of looking at it, it was like, oh yeah, Von Miller. I, I stupidly kind of forgot about him because he didn't play last year and he's well into his thirties. But I think that's right because I think when he is healthy and hopefully he will be for the Broncos, I, I want to see a healthy Von Miller. It's fun to watch him play. To me, when healthy, the best combination of get off and bend and dip around the corner of any edge rusher in football. When I first saw him there, I'm like, oh, that's a little bit too high. But no, I, I think that's right. And number eight, my biggest gripe with this list, Joey Bosa is way better than the number eight edge rusher in football. He's averaged over 60 quarterback pressures in his first five seasons with the Chargers. So he has been the staple of consistency. And hitting the 60 pressure mark, that's big time. And to do that over a five-year stretch to start your career, to hit the ground running, and then sustain that is super impressive. I think probably after Chandler Jones, Joey Boza has the best pass rush move arsenal of anyone on this list. He has every, I mean, you name a move that any defensive line coach would throw out there, and, and they all have a bunch of different names depending on who you're talking to. Joey Bosa not only has that in his arsenal, but he deploys that on a weekly – he deploys all of them on a weekly basis, on a drive-by-drive -drive basis. Very good leverage. He's powerful. Pretty good bend to the quarterback. He's an awesome run defender too. Plays through the whistle on every single snap. Joey Bosa, I could just swap him with, with J.J. Watt. At least move him up to maybe number seven. I think he's a top five edge rusher in football. Now, his brother, Nick Bosa, at number nine is interesting because his rookie season in 2019, he looked like he was going to be better than his brother. And I think he still could be. He's a little bit smaller. He's still 6'4", around 265 pounds. But... The fact that he's a little smaller makes him a little bit quicker and a touch more explosive around the corner. Nick Bosa had 102 pressures in 2019. 102 in the regular season. When Aaron Donald has a big year, like an insane Aaron Donald year, which different position, but we know how insane Aaron Donald is. He's like in the 90s. He'll have like 96, 98 pressures. 102 pressures as a rookie. 
every pass rush move in the book he also has in his arsenal, which is insane for someone so young. Great low center of gravity can drive back those left tackles or right tackles when they're waiting for his move. He'll just run right through them. And he's a great finisher at the quarterback. So, but there's only one season, then he got injured last year. I think at this point, Nick Bosa being at nine is probably right. But if we're going to jump to the future at wide receivers, me saying that I think A.J. Brown's going to be definite, will definitely be inside the top 10 at the receiver spot, Nick Bosa's going to be in the top five when these ratings come out for Madden 23 next year. And then Zadarius Smith at 10. I, I like this. I'm glad that he got his due because since he's joined the Green Bay Packers, he's been a pressure-generating monster. 2019 was a little bit more efficient than last year, but he's someone that has that unique size, like 6'4", 275, can play off the ball or, or, or can play outside linebacker, can play with his hand in the dirt, very good inside Crossover move, swim move, good power. And for someone that big and someone who did not test particularly well coming into the NFL, Zadarius Smith can really flatten to the quarterback and finish. So I'm glad he's inside this top 10 because he's one of the more underrated defenders in all of football. Now in terms of gripes, or, or snubs I should say, my biggest gripe is Joey Bosa at 8. He needs to be much higher. And J.J. Watt does not belong inside the top 10 anymore, or top 5 anymore. In terms of snubs, where is Shaq Barrett of the Buccaneers? And if you've noticed, all the other players that I've talked about, Cam Jordan, Miles Garrett, Mack, both Watts, Chandler Jones, Von Miller, certainly, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, they're all really good run defenders. And that is... Kind of why I think Shaq Barrett was left outside this top 10 because he's not as aware of the run and as adept at removing blockers and making plays, impact plays near or at or behind the line of scrimmage against the run as anyone else on this list. But in terms of pinning his ears back and getting the quarterback to the turf, Shaq Barrett has a case that he should be in the top five or six. 19 and a half sacks last season, or two seasons ago with the Buccaneers. And then last year, who had the most quarterback pressures among edge rushers last year in 2020 during the regular season? Oh, that's right, Shaq Barrett with 77. His sack total took a big nosedive, but that was bound to happen. 19 and a half sacks was going to be pretty hard for him to recreate. But 77 pressures on fewer than 500 pass rushing snaps during the regular season. The year before that, 82 pressures just in the regular season. If you count the playoffs, Shaq Barrett had 98 pressures. Insane. He belongs on this list because the NFL is all about how well you get after the quarterback. How do you affect him? Are you creating pressure on him? And not only... Did Shaq Barrett show us that he can be a, a big-time sack guy? He can also create a ton of pressure. Last but not least in this podcast, and I'll probably jump back to these as uh, Madden releases more of their ratings over the next few days, 
the defensive tackle position. Of course, Aaron Donald at number one. So there's no, there's nothing really more to say about that. And he's his fifth time in the 99th club. Well-deserved for Aaron Donald. Still can't believe he lasted outside the top 10 in that 2014 draft class. Just getting to the list here. I had it in front of me. Where is it? Aaron Donald's at one. Number two. You want to know who number two is? Fletcher Cox. What? Fletcher Cox? 94 overall. So there's a big gap between 99, number one Aaron Donald, and then 94 overall rating Fletcher Cox of the Eagles. If we're going on longevity, and this is a lifetime achievement award, all right, I'm fine with Fletcher Cox at number two. Because from the 2011 or 2012 draft, what, what draft was he in? 2011, I think. Or no, 12. He was in the 2012 draft. He's been superb. He's been incredibly disruptive as a pass rusher. Powerful, squatty, good pass rush moves, a lot quicker than people think. Great closing speed to the quarterback. But last year in Philly, he was just not the same guy. And even in 2019, he kind of wasn't the same guy either. He only had 43 pressures last season. The year before that, 60. 2018, fantastic. 101. Which I believe, which is also counting the playoffs. His run defense has gradually, in my opinion, not gotten or has decreased in terms of its quality. Being able to get off blocks, take on double teams, make those splash plays in the backfield. He's been ultra consistent. He really has. To what he's done for nearly 10 seasons, for 10 seasons now in Philly has been, you know, the outstanding return on investment for that organization. He's not the second best defensive tackle in football heading into this year. That should have been number three, Chris Jones. He should be number two. Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's big. He's like six foot six, 310 pounds, has a very weird shape for an NFL that has really been trending toward these shorter, squattier, up the field pass rushers. But he is so disruptive. He's explosive off the line. He plays with a lot of quickness to power conversion, very long arms. He uses them well to keep interior blockers off of him. The swim move is outstanding. He has a huge tackling radius because he's so long. Chris Jones should be number two. Then at number four is DeForest Buckner. Similar kind of guy, a little bit leaner than Chris Jones, but can play up and down the line. The pass rush moves like they were at Oregon are fantastic. The swipe move, swim move, rip move, very, very strong, too, with his hands. Not just active hands, but very heavy-handed. He is 92 overall. He's number four, the def- top defensive lineman for Madden 22. Cam Hayward at number five, kind of similar to Fletcher Cox. Lifetime Achievement Award, Cameron Hayward, he's hit the ground running in Pittsburgh. Played a lot of 3-4 end where he was eating blockers and really wasn't in a showcase-type role, but he just blew up everyone in front of him and was creating havoc in the opposition's backfield since like his rookie year in Pittsburgh. 
But what I like about Cam Hayward is that he's like taken steps forward in his career. Like early on, again, playing in that three, four base that was asking him to two gap a lot. It was like, okay, he's not going to be a great pass rusher, but he's very, very strong. He's a phenomenal run defender because of how strong he is and how he can not just eat two blockers, but even beat double teams at times. As he's gotten older, he's almost gotten better. I mean, in 2015, he had 70 pressures, and that was kind of the the door being open for him. And I think after that, the Steelers were like, hey, this guy can actually rush the passer. In 2018, 59 pressures. 2019, 60 pressures. And last year, 64 pressures. So Cam Hayward at five, I'm completely fine with that. Now, number six. Ah, man. Again, they shouldn't be making me this upset. I'm not really upset, but the sake of this article or this episode, Michael Pierce at six. Michael Pierce, no disrespect to the guy. He is one of the last standing pure nose tackles who is going to eat blockers, spit them out, make plays against the run. But this is not Madden 2012 or Madden 02 or Madden 92. Everyone's throwing the football. you got to get after the quarterback. And Michael Pierce, I've been talking so, many, talking so much about pressures. The most pressures he's had in a single season is 21. I mean, he's not really asked to get up the field, and he's very good at his role. He's kind of like the modern-day Damon Harrison, Snacks Harrison, the Jets and the Giants. Like elite run defender. He opted out last season, but that's fine. He's not number six. If this was the top run-stuffing defensive lineman, yeah, I'd probably put him a little higher. But not number six. Calais Campbell at number seven. This guy is a warrior who's been playing forever. And like Chris Jones and like DeForest Buckner, he's tall, Does naturally does not have good leverage, but he is... Might be the strongest interior defensive lineman in the NFL in terms of pure, unadulterated power from his lower half, from his toes all the way up to his shoulder pads. He is stupid strong and well into his 30s. He has remained incredibly disruptive. Kenny Clark at eight. I'm glad they got him some do. It kind of feels like these Packers defenders like fly under the radar just because they're on it. They're on the Packers with Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams, Kenny Clark, kind of a nose tackle type, but also a, a awesome upfield pass rusher. If anything, he and Michael Pierce should be flipped between six and eight. Kenny Clark is good against the run because he does have that squatty frame. He is very powerful, but very quick first step. The closing speed is outstanding. Bench presses, centers, and guards all the time. He deserves to be a little bit higher than this. Stefan Tuitt at number nine, Cam Hayward's teammate, was a sneaky ad at number nine. I, I, I don't know if I feel him this high. I don't know if he belongs in this upper echelon. But he's someone too, and maybe it's the coaching. I don't know what it is. That later in his career in Pittsburgh – 
he's gotten better. I do think part of it is the fact that Cam Hayward and Stephon Puitt have really hit the ground running or not hit the ground running. They, they've gotten better later in their careers when TJ Watt has really drawn a lot of attention. That could be part of it, but to be like six, six, 300 pounds and be your classic three, four defensive end. That's supposed to be responsible for two gaps and free up outside linebackers and off ball linebackers and not really do too much as a pass rusher. So if I'm had 71 pressures last season, 12 sacks, he's good. Is he number nine overall good at this position? Maybe not. I don't hate it though. And then number 10, Vita Vea was very important late in that Buccaneers playoff run when he was able to come back as your classic oversized nose tackle who moves like he's 6'1", 290. He was very disruptive in the NFC title game and the Super Bowl. Probably was at number 10 because of the injury, because he didn't play a lot last season. But from his rookie season on, which his rookie year started with an injury, and then as he got on the field and was healthy late in his debut season with the Buccaneers, it was like, oh, this guy can actually rush the passer pretty well. 2019, 57 total pressures on just over 500 pass rushing snaps. That's really good for 6'4", almost 350. And, of course, he just swallows running backs inside. Like, he's just someone you do not want to get close to on the inside because he's that powerful in his upper half. And the biggest snub among defensive linemen is Grady Jarrett of the Atlanta Falcons. I would have been fine with Grady Jarrett at number nine. And then if you went out a little further, had Stefan Tuart at like number 11, or you move Vita Vea up to nine, you put Grady Jarrett at number 10. He deserves some credit for really being since that Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl, Grady Jarrett has been the star on that Falcons defense. And since that Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, the Falcons defense has not been very good. And even that year, they weren't amazing. But Grady Jarrett has remained ultra efficient, getting upfield, winning with pass rushing moves, with quickness, surprising power at that three technique, that flashy three technique defensive tackle spot. Last year, 57 pressures on 570 pass rush snaps. And that's with no real help around him. That's with every single team saying, all right, we're playing the Falcons defensive line. We need to zero in on Grady Jarrett and stop him. He probably belongs inside this top 10. I think he was the biggest and really the only snub that really stood out to me. All right, that'll do it for me today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for listening to the Prospect Podcast.